the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 144. I'm your host, Dustin, and today, as always, I have with me... This is Ed. As always, it was like, you know, these people never leave me. I have to deal with them every month, twice. Uh, this is Stella, <laughs> and we saw I'm excited to be here. Yes, uh, I unfortunately am sick. I'm, oh. coming o- I'm coming down with something that my son brought home from school, um, but... I'm here bringing you guys the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of August 31st through September 13th, along with my lovely co-hosts. So we have a couple little bit, a little bit of news to cover. We have two books to cover, uh, both issues of Batman Eternal that released in the last two weeks, and then we're going to have a discussion about some of the Future's End books that came out as well. So let's get straight into comic news. The first thing we've got is on September 9th, DC announced that uh, the variant cover for December. Uh, are going to be covers done by Darwin Cook. Uh, there's going to be 23 different DC titles that will be getting the variant treatment in December. Um, each cover will be presented in a landmark, landmark format and are indicative of his signature art style. This is a rectangular widescreen type cover instead of, you know, the normal rectangular, uh, I should say normal ve- vertical rectangular and more horizontal. Out of the books that are part of the Batman universe, I will be receiving the Darwin Cook variant covers, Batgirl number 37, Batman number 37, Batman Robin 37, Batman Superman 17, Catwoman number 37, Detective Comics number 37, Harley Quinn number 12, and Grayson number 4. So we have a, a gallery up on the website for you to check out all of the variant covers for all of these specific issues. Um, in addition to that, uh, I also just want to quickly mention, I think it's interesting that um, generally, generally the, ver- the the issues that get variant covers are ones that perform very well in sales because there's no real reason to warrant a variant cover if they're not doing very well in sales. The other way they could, the other reason you'd see variant covers sometimes is if a book, if they're trying to give the book a little bit of a, a push. Um, what I find interesting though is books like Catwoman, Grayson, even Batgirl. I mean, the creative teams are obviously Grayson's a new series. But even with Batgirl and Catwoman, with the new creative teams coming in October, it's nice to see that they're at least having some sort of... They have confidence in what is coming to warrant these books having variant covers. And I think that's that's a good thing. I think it's nice to see the fact that, you know, DC as themselves are saying, you know, out of all the books we have, even though these books are getting new creative teams and we don't know exactly how it's going to be received by the fans, we're still going to give them variant covers. And I think that's nice to see. Ever do it, Darwin Cook, as opposed to like a, a selfie cover or a Lego cover, which I enjoy. I think they're cool. I just think it's neat to have a, kind of an artist focus as opposed to a topic focus. So I think that's a pretty cool way to do it too. All right. So the next bit of news we have. Um, well, real briefly, I just want to mention there was an article that we posted uh, that was posted up on the website. 
Um, it was done by Terry Houston, who writes a lot of our comic news over on the website. Um, there was an article that he posted up about uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo uh, possibly speculating about leaving Batman. Uh, now, this all originated from Baltimore Comic-Con, where Greg Capullo basically made some offhand comments about the fact that uh, his contract's up in 16 issues, and that he has all kinds of really cool things that he'd like to do, and he may not want to be doing Batman forever. Um, it was basically, in, I guess, according to Capullo, was taken out of context in some ways, where he basically said his contract is up in 16 issues, but that doesn't mean it's this end of his run on Batman because, you know, they could entire, they could in, they could sign him to a new contract. Scott Snyder went on to, uh, further explain his comments in an interview he gave a few days later, um, where he basically said that he's a team. If Greg decides he doesn't want to do Batman anymore, then he's off the book too, which he says that, you know, he's going to go wherever he goes and he's going to go wherever he goes. Now, here's here's a small little... Let's just have a small little discussion about this. Obviously, they've been on the book for a long time. Um, Greg Capullo's contract's up after issue number 50. Now, do I believe that they're going to be actually off the book after 50? Uh, you know, I don't think they will. I think, if anything, it'll probably maybe be just a slight bit longer than that. Uh, we know that Scott Snyder has said that he... You know, we have Batman Endgame. That's going to end somewhere around issue 40-something... And we also have a story that he said he was going he, he's going to come back to the Joker at some point as well. And this is all going to happen within the next, essentially, the next 16 issues um, before Batman number 50 rolls around if he, in, he in fact, is going to leave the title if Greg Capullo leaves. Now, the one thing I find interesting is Snyder's remarks about the fact that uh, we're a team wherever Greg goes, I'm going to go, and wherever I go, he's go, he goes. And we've made that pact both as friends because as hokey as it sounds, it's true, we've become extremely close. That's, you know, I think it's great that uh, the writer and the artist can be great friends, and that's great. But to really basically say, hey, not only am I selling the best-selling comic out there for, you know, I've been selling the best-selling comic for, you know, almost three full years. My comic has been the, in the top, at least the top ten, but in, in many, many, many cases, the top comic of the month. I'm going to leave because my artist is, he doesn't want to do it anymore. That seems a slight bit odd to me, only because we've seen multiple artist changes in the past. If this actually is true and Snyder does leave, if Capullo leaves the book, you know, by all means, I, you know, I, I, it would be a, in some ways a bad thing because we'd see Snyder leave the bad books essentially, which I find odd because Snyder's kind of been a lot of behind a lot of the things that have been happening in the Batman universe over the last couple of years. But, uh, I don't, I, I feel like despite the fact that these comments were said, Snyder might not be on Batman, but maybe he would take over detective comics if the opportunity and them with a new creative, you know, a new artist or something like that. I don't know. It's hard to say because I haven't really felt like there's been any inclination from Snyder's end that he had, you know, he's, he's run out of stories to tell. Now, obviously he's been working a lot of other titles. Uh, he has Witches, which is a series by Image coming out. He did The Wake. Um, so he, and he, and he still has, he still has said that he's got American vampire stories too. So I'm sure he has other things he wants to do, but it just doesn't feel like he's done with Batman within the next 16 issues. Well, I think the other thing too is, is with 16 issues, Snyder will only be able to tell what, two or three stories? I'm not saying it as a criticism, but it's not like a typical creator that said, well, with 16 issues, maybe you could see four full stories, right? 
with the amount of issues, we might get two stories and maybe a couple standalones in between story arcs like he likes to do. Um, I just don't see him leaving. Now, I get it that him and Capullo are friends, and I think that's awesome, but let's face it, Snyder writes a lot of stuff that Capullo doesn't draw. Capullo doesn't draw American Vampire or The Wake or, you know, I mean, so maybe he'd leave Batman, Batman. I think you got on something there. Um, maybe Detective, maybe there'll be another, if, if Batman Eternal sales numbers stay solid, maybe there'll be another weekly Batman series. Um, but yeah, it would be hard to believe that Batman, which is one of the few books that sells 100,000 copies a month, almost every month, that DC would let those two walk away if there was anything they could do about it. Yeah, I, I, I and I wonder, you know, who's there, you know, these interviews, uh, if they're online, obviously, they, they do kind of have to check up on them. But, I mean, there's no one there kind of coaching Snyder, and I just wonder how many people at DC offices would have been like, no, you'll probably still be on this book, you won't leave, you know. Um, but... I, I kind of think about Ultimate Spider-Man and, you know, Bar- Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley were, were together for a very long time. And they, that was a great partnership. And I do feel like uh, even though I think Mark Bagley, you know, he left after um, 100, I think, plus. It was a very long run. Um, you know, I, I feel like someone could continue to keep going. I think it's a lovely and romantic idea, just the fact that they um, want to stick together and keep with this. But since it is such a high-selling book, I think DC would almost like really do as much as they can to keep these two on the book, or at least one of them. And, you know, Snyder is probably the one they would go for. But whatever they're going to do, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of money going flying at them. It might be a negotiating thing, too. And, and in that, yeah. I would totally respect. Like, if you're just going to say, we're going to stay forever, then why should DC open the checkbook? You know, it's almost – I respect it from a negotiating position because think about it. Batman sells double the amount of issues per month as Detective does and sells triple the amount of titles like Batgirl, Earth 2, Flash. They're all in the 38,000 range, you know? So, I mean, I could see this being a very smart negotiating thing to say instead of, you know, way to get yourself paid. Yeah, and I honestly – and I would not doubt that because it just so happens that May of last year, 2013, which would have been the two-year mark from – right around the time that it was initially announced that Capullo was going to be on Batman for the New 52, Capullo started making tweets about the fact that his contract was about to be up and that he was going to be doing some contract negotiations with DC and Snyder was involved in them too. And, you know, it panned out and, you know, they kept him on the book and the the contract was basically renewed, I guess, up into issue 50. So, you know, why not get an early start at this 16 issues? That's not that long. I mean, that's realistically, I mean, the thing is uh, Capullo gets at least one of those issues off every single 12 issues, he's taking at least one issue off. So out of the 16 remaining issues, you're looking at maybe only 14 from Capullo. You know, that might only be like another year and a half before that happens. So you might just, you know, trying to stir the pot now to start, you know, getting some people to talk about it. If it happened, you know, by all means, I'm not going to hold it against either one of them if they want to go out and they want to go do something else. If they want to go work at Marvel with Mike Martz, like we've seen some other creators uh, that were part of the Batman universe, uh, some some creators, Kyle Higgins, Tinian, they've, they've picked up series or one-shots at least under the guide of Mark of Mike Martz over at uh, Marvel now um would that have ever happened if Martz didn't go over to Marvel you know it's 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 hard to say 
you know. But uh, I think that at some point, especially with Doyle taking over and, and starting to see some of the creative teams being shooken up, I think we're going to start to see some changes. And one of the changes that I'm almost positive will happen, at least in Doyle's tenure as Batman group editor, is figuring out what to ha- what to do with Batman if Capullo and Snyder leave and what happens when they do, you know, how to keep that book at the top. So they're going to have to come up with something creative, whether it be in 16 issues or whether it be, you know, much longer than then, depending on if the contract gets renewed. All right, the other bit of news we have uh, comes on September 12th. It was announced uh, through Newsrama that Batman Beyond 2.0 will be ending in November. Um, basically, the last chapter will be 40, which will post on November 1st. The final print issue will be released later that month. Uh, the story of the series began a year after DC's last digital first Beyond series, which had even spawned its own Just League spinoff. The main reason for the cancellation of the title, according to the creators, is that DC feels its current digital first schedule is overloaded, and they want to scale back to a single digital series release per day, per each day of the week. Now, currently, Bat- Batman Beyond 2.0 is releasing on Saturday, the same day as a new chapter of uh, Batman, the Jiro Kawada Batmanga. Um, the new, there's a new chapter of both of them basically releasing every single week. So instead of rotating back and forth and only doing two, uh, chapters of Batman Beyond 2.0 per month, uh, they've decided just to end it there. Um, now I don't know that they did specifically, DC did say that they may bring the series back at a later date. This is nothing necessarily to do with sales. In my opinion, I think the series has been, there's been some sort of Batman Beyond almost since the beginning of the New 52, and even before the New 52, there was a miniseries with, that were New 50, that were uh, Batman Beyond. But I think in general, they're just at the at the point where it's they they've done a decent job of coming to a lot of conclusions. They're finishing their story, and that's what's important. You know, they're not leaving it with a giant cliffhanger. And if they bring it back, great. If the demand is there, I don't think the I don't think it's not there. I think they're just trying to you know scale back on some of the stuff they've got. All right, and outside of that, there is absolutely no more news. So with that, we're going to get straight into our books. And the very first book we have is Batman Eternal number twenty two. Batman Eternal number twenty two, script by Kyle Higgins, art by Jorge Lucas. Uh, the issue starts off with Julia Pennyworth trying to get a hold of Bruce Wayne. She's not really having any luck because he keeps, she keeps getting his voicemail. Uh, when she comes across the grandfather clock, she remembers what Alfred said about 1048 and she enters the, 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 the time into the clock and click it opens and she's now in the back cave. At the Beacon Tower, the architects on the tower are talking about how they're working around the clock to make sure that the Beacon Tower can open on time when all of a sudden the architect that's right, the villain from the last issue, he appears and he says, tonight is not your night. He kills one of the architects and goes after the other one. Batman hears what's going on at the Beacon Tower and goes there. As uh, we see Julia Pennyworth walking around the Batcave, she gets a call from Batman who says, what the hell are you doing? And she basically explains what's happened with Alfred. He says, listen, I can't, can't, be there for Alfred right now. There's something really important happening. I've got to stop it. This is what he would want. Um, after she kind of, you know, pouts about it, he goes to the Beacon Tower to stop the architect. Um, basically, after he works with Julia to help 
a number of the workers get out of the tower in case the tower is going to collapse. He, in turn, goes after the architect. Um, he frees the other, the the actual architect person who designed the building. Um, he frees him so that he can get away, giving him a zip line to get to safety. Um, and he goes back to go after Zachary Gates, the architect. Um, as the architect of the building goes down the zip line, he comes across he comes across Hush, who shoots him and says, "I promised that uh, you would be you, you know you would die for the architect." So there, that's it, and he shoots him. Uh, meanwhile, Batman over the comm is talking to Julia, and he realizes that the person behind all of this is Hush. Next, sound effects. I'm Eternal number 22. So not a, not a whole lot happened. I mean, we've got the introduction of Zachary Gates, the architect. It's really difficult to talk about architects and the, an architect villain and another architect all when they all have the same sort of names because the architects who designed the building in this issue, well, their names really weren't relevant, so it's not worth bringing up. That being said, um, let's talk about Julia Pennyworth. She now knows she's now in the Batcave. Um, she kind of jumps right into the role of Alfred. Uh, what did you guys think of that? I thought it was kind of, uh, God, this sounds weird. It was almost anticlimactic in a way, I guess, because the real, the real, the revelations happen with no one else around. So there's no sounding board. And like you said, she, she is kind of upset at Bruce at first, but she so quickly goes into, well, I'm going to help out mode. Um, which I guess is to be, I think that's supposed to be kind of showing us that her moral character, she wants to help people, blah, 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 blah. But um, it was interesting the way it was handled with her kind of off by herself as opposed to an introduction by Alfred or an introduction by Bruce, which is typically what we see. She kind of found it out on her own and then gets plunked right down the middle of a mystery. So I didn't I didn't hate it, um, but it certainly wasn't I was, wasn't kind of the introductory scene I was expecting when we first got her character. Yeah, and I think it's appropriate in the way that there's a delay with, I mean, she doesn't hop right to it, but it takes a little bit, you know, he has to explain the situation that people are going to die. And, and then he says that this is what Penny won, what your father would want me to do. And then you see that next panel and she's sort of staring and glaring at the, at the screen. And then, you know, she finally starts to help him. And so, yeah, just like Ed said, it's not only getting at you know, maybe she she's somewhat of a decent character down in there, but remember that she is an agent for um, for a government, and uh, so I feel like this is kind of right up her alley for that. But I do like how she's upset and she accuses him through everything, and it's kind of funny how uh, she's shocked, but only for a moment that you know Bruce Wayne is Batman. Um, it's interesting; he calls her Penny too. Which I thought, you know, that's clever. But then a couple pages later, he slips or the writer slips and says Penny One, which is a little strange. Uh, I'm not sure if that was an intentional accident or the writers just forgot to say that it was two. Uh, but I did wonder about that. Maybe because he's, I mean, because it kind of makes sense. You know, Batman is, he's very used to, to Alfred being his main man. Um, I think it was in this one. I just remember seeing Penny one and it was a little weird. Oh yeah, it says, yep, what page is that? Page 19 says Penny one, the break in last night. How did you say the attacker got in? So it's a little weird that he goes from Penny two to Penny one, but I think we all knew this was coming. It's interesting. Um, we don't know where 
Well, I guess we'll talk about that later. But it's just weird that um, we have a flashback to Alfred, but we don't see Alfred at all in this issue, which makes me a little nervous. My my thoughts were, you know, I didn't really mind as far as the actual introduction of her going into the Batcave and all that. That was fine. It did seem like, to me, that she kind of went from, like, OGs to I'm going to sit in front of the computer and suddenly get a hold of Batman. The I did notice that, that, that mess up with the writing, Penny 1-2. Uh, I... I Thought I was trying to figure out why exactly it would be that, like why he would have said Penny Two first, then changed it to Penny One, uh, or changed it back to Penny One. I didn't really understand if why, how, or why that would make any sense. But you know th- that it is what it is. Um, I, you know, I'm kind of with Ed as far as you know. It shows her moral fiber as far as you know. She's willing to help out because people's lives are at stake regardless of her negative feelings towards Bruce or Batman or the fact that her father is, you know, basically messed up because of everything that 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 he's involved with with Bruce and Batman, she still helps out. So I think that was great. The uh, other thing I want to talk about is the architect. You know, I kind of just talk about this quickly, but in the next issue, the architect is taken out pretty quick, and it almost feels like the architect, you know, Really, okay, he causes the, like, I'm, I'm, I want to talk about this now, even though we will get to it in the next issue, because I have other things I want to talk about in the next issue. But with the architect, he's basically created, he wants this building to be destroyed because, uh, he doesn't like the fact that it's this, it's basically putting the big metal middle finger of Bruce Wayne to Gotham City and to the Gates family. Um, and he wants to destroy this building and raise it to the ground and in the next issue we'll see that the it doesn't actually it doesn't work and instead creates an earthquake in Gotham. Now, is it just me or does it feel like the architect gets taken out way too quick? He's introduced basically last issue. He's in this issue and he's in the next issue, but by the end of the next issue he's 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 done. Does it feel like we're getting back to that weird feeling of let's throw in a new villain just to you know just for story purpose is it is it weird does it work you know we've seen this before where we like ten-eyed man he was a character who popped up and then suddenly he had this like small plot point uh killer croc you know he appeared in like a couple issues you know do you feel like this is this is becoming a, a revolving door of which villain is it going to be for this story arc I do feel like we've had some of that in Batman Eternal. I think that the architect would especially feel like that if you had never read Gates of Gotham. Because most of the backstory we have from I mean, there is some quick, this is who he is set up. But if you haven't read Gates of Gotham, there isn't almost any reason to care about this character, if that makes any sense. You know, mm-hmm. if you've read Gates of Gotham, you have a little more, oh, well, this is who he is. This is the story. You know, take away the fact that in Gates of Gotham, Batman is Dick Grayson. But, um, you know, but yeah, this does feel like... Snyder brought out one of his toys because, you know, he was involved with Gates of Gotham. Um, but it does feel like this is us bringing out a toy which really doesn't re- – and, and the timing for this I think is really, really weird. Like we have this big hush unveil and then we go straight to the architect as opposed to some kind of hush Batman, uh, you know, showdown, talk point, whatever. But, uh, yeah, it does feel slightly forced. I, I like the inclusion of the character and I was actually hoping he was going to be around for 10 to 15 issues of the arc and, and have him – a major part of the story kind of acting as Hush's lieutenant or something like that. So uh, I was really unsatisfied with how quickly he got removed from the story. Yeah, and it seems like it just popped up randomly because 
uh, I feel like the only way you could bring it in was because, and the only really thing that introduced it was the fact that we had talked about the Beacon Tower before, and that was really the set piece, I think, that brought in the architect. And the architect was just sort of a, a mini minion for Hush. So I guess if you're able to sort of say to yourself, Hush is the main bad guy, as far as we can tell, and everyone else is somewhat working for him or he's using them as chess pieces, then I feel like you can sort of allow them to have these short appearances that have some sort of impact on the story, some sort of impact on Hush's motives and, you know, his his overall intent for what he's doing. Um, and then they're taken away. Uh, you know, the architect, I remember, it's been a while since I read Gates of Gotham. Um, I, I think that, yes, just like Ed said, he could have been used longer. Um, but I guess you, you also don't want anyone to overshadow Hush now that he's revealed. So since he's revealed, I feel like we've got to focus on him and, and all the villains that we bring in can't really overtake that prominence of, you know, Hush is this, this main bad guy. So everyone else probably is going to be, um, tertiary and, and removed quickly. So I, I totally get what you're saying that it was so quick, but I feel like now that everything's out in the open, um, this may start to happen more frequently until Batman starts to just whittle down the pyramid and finally get to the top and Hush will be there. I would, I, I, I agree in the fact that Hush should not be overshadowed by any other characters as far as the villains go. And that's completely understandable. I guess my only problem with it is it really just feels, okay, there's still characters that we still haven't seen the resolution for. Like, what exactly was Clue Master and all his villain buddies planning towards the very beginning of the series that Stephanie overheard and then that's why they wanted to kill her? You know, what, what, what is going on with that? What, what part of that are they? You know, we, we still don't know exactly what's actually going to happen in Arkham Asylum because it's been a while since that. It just feels like I'm okay with them bringing in villains for, you know, one, two issues. If they just serve a plot point, that's fine. You know, th that's why there's a variety of different villains they could bring in. I mean, we see in the next issue, Tiger Shark randomly showing up and mm -hmm. being involved. And it, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with them, you know, using the series as a way to showcase the the wide range of villains that they have in the you know Batman, in Batman's Rogues Gallery. My only problem is when you are doing these like short, short stories that are involving, for example, we go from the last issue where they basically introduce Architect. This is essentially Architect's issue. The next issue is kind of his conclusion but it's not really about him anymore so he basically has like one full issue and then just the beginning and the end of his story and the issues before and after that's fine but why is it that we are seeing why are these stories coming in when there's all this other stuff that they still haven't talked about is there a reason why it's been being pushed you know i guess pushed out of the way so that we could you know hold off on dealing with the arkham stuff or dealing with uh, you know, where, where exactly, what, for example, why exactly in 22 the architect was able to get out by Jason Bard allowing him to get out instead of getting Gordon out? How come that hasn't been dealt with at all? I mean, it's just like these small little things that I just feel like it's great to showcase them, but I really just wish there would be a little bit more of a progression of some of the big things that are happening in the series. All right, so with that being said, I'm going to give it two and a half out of five bad rings. Uh, 
I'm going to give it a three out of five. I'm going to agree and give it a three. All right, and over on the website, Corbin Poole gave the issue two and a half, so that's going to give Batman Eternal number 22 a total of two and a half out of five bad ratings. Let's move into our next issue, Batman Eternal number 23. Batman Eternal number 23, script by Tim Seeley, art by Dustin Wen. Uh, the issue starts off with uh, basically a dog fight. There's a random gangster who says, okay, the people are getting restless. Release the, uh, s- release the snow leopards so that they can tear it apart so all the people can be happy and cheer. Um, Catwoman happens to be watching this. She's not very happy. Meanwhile, Tiger Shark bursts in the doors with a number of his guys. They start taking out a bunch of the gangsters. Catwoman goes down. Tiger Shark actually shoots at the Snow Leopard. Catwoman swoops down, scoops up the Snow Leopard, and leaves, saying that she's going to be back for Tiger Shark some other time. Uh, meanwhile, at Beacon Tower, we see that Architect is getting a f- basically a phone call from Hush saying, don't worry, I took care of the uh, the designer, the architect that you, you wanted to kill. He's dead. He's kind of upset about that. He's like, what? That was supposed to be my... I wanted to be able to kill him. But he doesn't really have a choice because now at this point he's still battling Batman. At the apartment of Selina Kyle, Jade... The character who Killer Croc, Batman, and Jason Bard saved a couple issues ago randomly appears at Selena Kyle's apartment to say, hey, listen, we got to go to Blackgate because someone wants to talk to you. And uh, Selena happens to know exactly who it is. Uh, she explains that she doesn't want to go, uh, but and she wants to know why he's sending a child to do this. Um, the child says, no, listen, I, I like doing it. I actually sell them. I make money off doing it. I sell them stuff. I saw the prisoner stuff at Blackgate. It's, uh, that's my job. So Selena reluctantly decides to go. In the Gotham Underground, we see Killer Croc tearing apart a number of different weird mutated creatures. We then cut back to Beacon Tower, where Batman is talking to Julia Pennyworth, still over the comms, as he takes out, uh, as he tries to find out what exactly the plan is from the architect. Uh, meanwhile, Blackgate Penitentiary, Selena and Jade show up to talk to Rex Calabrese. Selena is fully aware who he is, that it's her father and that he's alive. She doesn't want to have anything to do with him. He basically says, listen, um, the reality is that uh, the, the structure of the Gotham crime families is falling apart because there's no one at the head. Someone needs to be back in charge after she says, and who's that supposed to be, you? And he says, no, not me. You back at Beacon Tower, Zachary Gate is be basically taken out. Um, we find out that the building itself is not going to be destroyed, uh, but in fact, an earthquake is raging all around the city because the fault lines were attacked. In the Gotham Underground, we see Jade and Catwoman. Uh, Catwoman saved Jade, and we then see the Beacon Avenue. Uh, below the Beacon Tower, a bunch of people saying, was it a bomb? It felt like an earthquake. What's going on? Hush is kind of ticked off that the Beacon Tower didn't fall, but, uh, that, that's that. So he says, okay, well, that's fine. It, it, uh, it'll stay there, but everything around it will fall. Uh, we then see Selena taking, she takes Jade to Leslie Tompkins and says, please keep an eye on her. Um, then we see back at Blackie Penitentiary, which happened prior, Rex explaining exactly how this needs to work and says, you need to become 
the person. You need to become the 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 head to unite the families. Um, Selena, you can stop the innocents from being killed because I know it's not about the people for you. It's about the game. You kept stealing stuff even when you didn't have to. Um, so you are the perfect person to do this. Um, we then see Jason Bard going to Mayor Hattie and he explains the city is in ruins. You've allowed this to happen. We need to initiate martial law into Gotham City. Next, spoiler alert. All right, Batman Eternal number 23. A couple different things to talk about here. So the reason I talked about the architect in the last issue is because Catwoman really, to me, is the main focus of this issue. Um, so Catwoman saves the snow leopard. I, we don't know if the snow leopard's going to live or not because it got shot by Tiger Shark. Basically, in that way, it seems like they're setting up a feud between Catwoman or I guess we should just start calling her Selena Kyle now that she's going to become... The, the kingpin of Gotham, but uh, Selena Kyle and Tiger Shark. Tiger Shark's probably got a big target marked on his back when she takes control of the crime families. Um, but first off, I want to talk about Jade. This character, you know, was a part of the story a couple issues ago. She randomly appears in this issue as the person to take Selena to go see her father in Blackgate. What do you think the reason behind this character specifically being used is? I think that they're developing a, a sidekick character for Selena Kyle. Uh, I think that uh, at some point when she becomes the kingpin of Gotham that we saw, that, that is heavily talked about in this issue and we've seen in the, the flash forward to Eternal, I think that this will be like her um, Holly Robinson character in modern continuity, a uh, kind of a sidekickish type person. Yeah, I, I feel like... Um, she's also, she's kind of the Harper Road to Catwoman, you know, cause I feel like we're, um, and, and I, I find it, it's interesting if we think about, if we compare Harper Road to Jade right now, just kind of these, um, characters that are just different from, you know, a different side of the tracks as, as other people. And, and Jade, of course, was living in the sewers and she has connections with Killer Croc. So it's kind of, I, I think she's an interesting character just with her background. Um, I totally agree that I think it's going to be, um, a nice little sidekick since I guess we don't have a Holly around in, in the new 52. Um, but I like how she's got these ties to like the underworld and, I think that this is in the long run going to help Selena because if Selena actually cares for Jade, then she's got Killer Croc automatically on her side because it seems like he was very sentimental towards her, whereas you wouldn't expect Killer Croc to be that way towards anyone. And then you've got, I mean, away randomly into Blackgate, um, which you'd think that it'd be... That would people would be watching that sewer man cover, um, so yeah, I, I think it's certainly going to be interesting to see where she where um, like what where her story goes. But I think just that small and young person, she's going to have a lot of ties, and I think in the long run, it's going to help Selena out enormously. Yeah, I would agree. I think basically the character. I mean, they focused on her a lot. I mean, anybody who read the her when she or read the story with Killer Croc, Bard, and. And Batman going and saving this girl, they made a point to point out her, what her name was and things like that. And they tend not to do that with characters that are just throwaway characters. So is it a surprise that she pops up right away? 
and to me, it is a little bit of a surprise. I mean, it's nice that she didn't go, she, she wasn't unseen for six issues and then randomly appear, and then we all had to refresh our minds as to who she was, even though they did do that for us, and they did show, they did say exactly who she is. But uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about is the meeting between Selena and Rex. Now, here's my thing. I didn't really feel before this issue at least that selena knew her father was alive that her father was still around anything now we did see that a a long this was a while ago selena get that letter Mm -hmm. in the cemetery basically saying you know i wish i was there for you blah 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 all this stuff but i wonder if she actually knew that was from her father because at least to me it didn't feel like that was the case uh it didn't feel like she knew who her father was at any point, and part of it also is, I'm sure the writers of Batman Eternal kind of just ignored everything that's been happening in Catwoman the series up until this point. Because if you look at the Villains Month issue last year or the Zero issue from the year before that, I mean, none of this makes any sense compared to what they're basically implying here, which I'm fine with that. Get rid of it. Scoot it under the rug and pretend like it doesn't exist. I'm fine with that. I just wanted to get, see if you guys felt any kind of weird situation between Rex and Selena since she basically said, you know, I know you're here. I've, I've known you're here. Why are you using children to do your bidding? I guess that it just – in this version of continuity, I guess it's just something we're going to have to wrap our minds around that Selena knowing who her father is is simply not that big of a deal. Um, I mean there was such previous stuff like when in Rome, things like that where we were kind of figuring out who her, her father was um, mm-hmm. and then – there's that bizarre zero year issue which Dustin referenced, which has some illusions that she was some type of Russian spy or something even weirder. I don't have an issue with the way it's presented here. I think it's different, but I don't think that's that, that's a problem because I think the, the the more interesting part of the story here is going to be Selena taking over Gotham's underworld. So I think that I'm okay with us just kind of fast forwarding past her and her father's uh, relationship stuff because I don't think that that would be the interesting part of the story. And I seem to remember at the end of that letter that it was revealed that it was by her father, but honestly, you would have to, you'd have to pop that comic up. But I, I remember it was just going on for so long and, and you were wondering who this was about and, and obviously this person who was writing the letter knew about Lola and had a close connection with her and kept saying, you know, I'm sorry I abandoned you. I'm sorry I can't be there for you. And I feel like at the end it was revealed that um, her father had written it, but you wonder who this person is. And I know last episode, Dustin, you said, you know, I, I I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to take a guess and say that Rex Calabrese is. <laughs> so, so you, you know, you were right in that. Um, I, I think it's great the fact that let me go nerdy for a minute. Rex means king in latin and uh, of course he's you know known as the lion or whatever and uh, so we've got this cat theme so i think it's wonderful that subconsciously perhaps you know catwoman picks up this theme from her father and i think it's great to reflect on her relationship with all these like i guess i shouldn't say all these like carmine felt you know just these mob bosses and i feel like it's maybe this deep-seated hatred because her father very much seems like you know in his past um he was doing those sort of dealings, so uh, um, I don't really have much of a problem with it. I think it's a very interesting dynamic. Um, I feel like we don't know too much about Catwoman. 
Uh, so it's interesting to see that part of her life and develop that part of her life. I think also just the fact that she said, I know you're in here must mean that she keeps tabs on him. Um, and, and I feel like it's not to reach out, but just so she knows what he's up to and, and to keep track of him. So I'm not as, uh, turned off by the idea as, you know, I think other storylines could make me. Yeah, for the most part, I think it, it works. I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem that it's changing continuity, as I said earlier. But the thing is, it just, to me, it just felt like, I don't know, maybe it's just the fact that we haven't really focused on Catwoman that much since the beginning of the of Batman Eternal. And maybe that's why it comes so suddenly that, oh, wait, she does know who her father is. Um, and she's known all along that he's in Blackgate. But then again, you know, like I said, it to me, it doesn't really make a difference. I'm fine with them completely wiping away the previous New 52 Catwoman stuff and just starting here because I think it works. And I, I'm more interested in this than I was in the previous stuff. So with that, I'm going to give Batman Eternal number 23 a total of 3 out of 5 batterings. Uh, 3.5 out of 5. I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5. All right, and over on the website, Corbin Poole gave it 3.5 out of 5. So that's going to give Batman Eternal a total of 3.5 out of 5 batterings. That is all of our books. Now, real quick, before we get into some future Zen discussion, I just want to run over some of the other books that were reviewed over on the website by Corbin. Um, be sure to check out some of these reviews. Some of them we'll talk about in a second. Um, Corbin reviewed Detective Comics Future's End and gave it two and a half out of five. Grayson Future's End, number one, two out of five. Batwing Future's End, four out of five. Batman Future's End, four out of five. And, and, uh, Donovan actually reviewed Batgirl Future's End and gave it three out of five. So be sure to check out all those reviews, even though we're going to talk about some of these Future End books here in a second. What is this? With that, we're going to get straight into our discussion points, which is Future's End. So obviously, because we don't have a ton of books to cover in the month of September, we're going to basically go through the main Bat books. Now, I say main Bat books, but we're including some of the books that we weren't covering before. Um, we're specifically going to be talking about Batman, Detective Comics, Batwing, Batman, Batgirl, and Birds of Prey. We're going to talk about bullet points, specific things that happen in these issues. Now, first off, I just want to get your guys' thoughts about what you were expecting to find in these books before you actually read any of them, based off of everything we've seen in previous Septembers from DC Comics. I was I was really concerned that these were going to be uh, throwaway issues. It was just the way I've heard someone else put it. Um, like last year's uh, Villains Month were just kind of these one-off stories that didn't they just were kind of out there, um, had no place in continuity. Uh, there were some backfill stories, things like that. So I kind of thought that's what was going to be. I was slightly more hopeful that due to this weekly Futures End event going on right now, there would be some more uh, tie-ins with it. Yeah, to be honest, you know, even more than throwaway, I mean, let me put on my negative cap for a moment. I honestly was thinking that they were not going to be good. Because I, I think, you know, out of all those villain month, uh, those villain month issues that came out, there were maybe, I, I don't want to say the word few, but it was like maybe a handful that were pretty decent. And, and I feel like the rest just fell flat for me. And reading, you know, just the synopses that they were giving, 
on solicitations, I, I was not enthused at all um, with what it sounded like and and you know especially for for books that were ending uh birds of prey this this is the last birds of prey issue you have um Batgirl, I mean, this is Gail Simone's last Batgirl. So I, I'm just wondering, like, is it, how is it going to go out? Is it going to go out with a bang or is it going to be flat? And, and I had low expectations for these. My expectations were very low. Uh, the last couple of years, zero year or zero month uh, back in 2012, I was not a big fan of. I thought reworking a lot of the origin stories to work with the New 52 was in some ways spit in the face of people who, you know, were fans before and readers and buyers of the stuff pre New Fifty Two. Um Villains Month last year, honestly, there was not very many issues last year that were good. Um we did review like every single one of the books that came out last year and we basically moved the podcast to be weekly because there were so many books that were released. But this time around, it wasn't going to be the case because, you know, after two years of being basically burned by some of the stuff, the biggest thing is when you take some of your books and you promote them as, hey, we're going to put these fancy covers on them, whether it be holographic or whether they be these foil covers or lenticular covers or whatever, when you put a fancy cover on a book, but then you take the creative team and say, hey, wait, we're not going to use the normal creative teams, we're going to use... And I hate to say this because that's not always, this isn't completely the case across the board. Uh, second tier creatives where we have these artists who are not on ongoing series doing these books. We have writers who are not writing the stories in the main title. It comes across as we're basically just spitting stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. And I don't really like that. And I, re- I was really not thinking any of this stuff was going to be that great. Now, Getting into our next point, I think I was pleasantly surprised, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of these books actually had some decent stories in them. Um, the the idea of jumping, in some cases, forward, well, in all cases, jumping forward in time, in some cases, jumping two years, three years, and then five years into the future, some of them told some really good stories. And I was thinking to myself, because initially when Donovan sent me his review for Batgirl Future's End, and I, and he, and I read Batgirl, read his review, and I was thinking about this, I was thinking to myself, you know, I have to wonder if something actually will have to happen in the next couple of years to basically thrust them into another parallel universe similar to what happened with Flashpoint, you know, prompting the New 52 because of basically the way they're setting everything up to be in the next couple of years. That being said, obviously continuity time takes a while to go through, but at the same time, there's also been, you know, with since the beginning of the New 52, there's been time that has passed. You can't just say no time has passed. It's only been six months. We've got the introduction of Harper Rowe, and then two months later, she's Bluebird, fully trained. It doesn't work like that, especially with everything that's happening in Batman Eternal. Time it has to pass. It just is a thing that it's a necessity to move along the story. So eventually, the stories will catch up to what's happening in this future's end. Now, who knows exactly what will happen? You know, will DC try to reboot everything yet again? Will we see? You know, I don't know. Will we see the the fruition of some of the stuff that we're seeing in Future's End actually happen? Who knows? 
But I think I, I was pleasantly surprised. How about you guys? I really liked them. Um, I think that this kind of tying into what we're seeing in Futures End Weekly for anyone that's reading it is – I think that that was, was the, really the reason why I – besides I think the quality of the, of the writing was better this year. I think that the reason why I enjoyed them was they were tying into that Futures End event. So they didn't feel like just standalone wasted stories. They felt like part of this kind of gigantic backdrop for Futures End and then the upcoming Earth 2 War uh, weekly series, which will tie in as well. So it felt like it was building towards something as opposed to just doing something. Yeah, I actually really liked them as well. And, and I feel like these more more so than the Villain Month, they almost made you think about certain, you know, just, you know, how plausible is this that this could potentially happen? I was thinking about the Batman one and the fact that, you know, Lex Luthor, look at where he is five years in the future and he's... He's on the JLA now, so what happens in between there? And yeah, I think it was good for Birds of Prey. I think it went out on a better note than than the um, this this latest story went out. Um, and 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 I think Gail Simone um, actually she did a great job on this, and and I'm happy that she was able to 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 write a good one before leaving the book. So overall I, I really liked them and some of them were disturbing, like Deadshot with we're not doing the the Suicide Squad one, but just seeing Harley with Venom <laughs> and uh and Deadshot with one arm was slightly disturbing. But I was pleasantly surprised that I think they really came through on this. So thank you, DC. Alright, so bullet points. Let's discuss what actually bullet points are for those of you who have never really kind of what we did with Grayson number one, Nightwing number 30. We talk about some of the big things that happen in the issue and then just brief discussion about those specific points. Now, in a lot of these issues, there's some big changes with the characters. That's kind of what we're focusing on here because the big changes is the thing that's interesting. It's not so much about the individual story giving you a full recap of everything that happened and then discussing everything that happened or specific questions related to it. So the first book I want to start with is Batwing. Um, so let's talk about Batwing Future's End. Yeah, this was the Batwing, which is now, of course, the title's canceled. Um, this is Jimmy Pagliotti and Justin Gray did this one. Um, just kind of the, the, the quick version was the story opens up and Leviathan is taking over like this, this ship with, uh, from Tokyo Mega Champ with a lot of weapons in it. Then you see this kind of collection of all the Batwing adversaries over the time of the book, uh, getting together with this guy, uh, Corvius, and they're gonna go, uh, to this dinosaur island and take out uh, Leviathan, and it gets there, and it turns out, of course, that it's actually Batman Inc. in, disi- in disguise, and they arrest all these various uh, Batwing villains and, and throw them in the jail uh, that they've built. So that's – the story's, you know, really, really very simple and straightforward, but it was enjoyable for me because it had a ton of Batman Inc. characters, and I don't even love Batman Inc. that much, but you got to see, like, a whole bunch of Batman Inc. characters and a compressed story that was mm-hmm. – short and simple. What did you guys kind of think about it? I thought it was great. Uh, seeing a bunch of Batman in characters was great. There was characters that either were hinted at before or never even shown, like King Bat, who looked like a caveman Batman. I know. Um, I know. I don't remember him. I could just be forgetting him, but I don't think he was around before. But it was nice to see not only, because it, it wasn't just Batwing characters either. The, the, it was, the, or villains, I should say. The villains were also villains that were of other members of Batman Incorporated. So when you actually saw them fighting each other, you know, uh, you saw Night Runner fighting with Cat and Mouse. And him saying, you know, you guys are, you guys aren't smugglers. What are you doing? And, you know, it's, it was, it was a cool way to see the interaction between all of them, 
Um, it's nice to see that, you know, obviously the future holds something for Batwing and Batman Incorporated. Batwing essentially seems to be leading Batman Incorporated on his own as his own team in the future. Yeah, which I really liked. Uh, you know, obviously it's called Futures and Batwing, and I'm waiting for Batwing to appear, and and I realized quite quickly that it's probably the guy that's in disguise and he's going to trick them. Uh, and then they go to the Savage Land. There's an X-Men nod for you guys, uh, which which was fun. But no, it was it was great to see, you know, just uh, to ring that bell again, it was great to see Batman Incorporated characters and, you know, even people who had lost uh, um their partners like we saw squire who is no longer squire she's actually knight now and um there was somebody else that had lost somebody to caligula to to caligula i remember she like specifically said that yes there you go but no it was just a it was a great story awesome characters awesome villains and then just a great fight scene and then i really thought the end was was also just like an emotional and nice ending um where we see the fox family somewhat together and and i haven't been following batwing so i don't know exactly where that ties into and um kind of what his story is now but it was just nice to see that and of course tiffany we see tiffany later so it's great to to see that nod to her in this one and that she knows um his secret yeah the the only other thing i want to mention is that uh basically black bat shows up they recolored her but cassandra kane was essentially in this issue without actually okay. being in the issue mm-hmm. um it was the same exact costume as she appeared in batman incorporated pre-new 52 but they just recolored it to add more purple mm-hmm. to it to make it like kind of i guess a mix between black bat and stephanie brown Batgirl, um so that you couldn't exactly see who it was but yeah I saw some stuff online about that, and it, the artist intended for it to be Black Bat. Okay. But uh, supposedly DC Editorial decided that that wasn't the place for her to appear, which was weird because then a week later we had Batgirl. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was wondering because I read Batwing right before I read it before I read Batgirl, and I, I thought to myself that, no, they'll, they'll never pull that Cassandra Kane trigger, and I just assumed it was somebody else. So thanks for for clearing up that it was probably her. All right, so let's move into our next one. Let's talk about Grayson, Future's End. Uh, Future's End, Grayson, only a place for dying, which is a play on words for a lonely place of dying. Do you get it? Do you get it? Uh, Writer Tom King, plot Tom King and Tim Seeley, artist Stephen Mooney, and colors Jeremy Cox. And um, the events in the issue go in reverse order. But I'm actually going to go in the timeline of like how it would go, so it, it makes more sense. So it starts actually with his with Dick Grayson's parents' death, and it moves forward. We see Batgirl, which was a, it was so tragic. Batgirl and him running and saying that they can never be. It was super sad. And then he needs someone sour, dark, and perfect. And apparently, this is going to be Helena um, for the rest of the issue. And Sadly, probably for Grayson. And um, as an agent for Spiral, of course, Dick is refusing to kill people, but Helena kills for him. So that's something to, to keep in mind towards the end. Uh, during the war that we will have, Dick and Helena offer Spiral services to the Russian government, which happens to be led by KG Beast. And they work for Russia and fight the parademons. Uh, during a major attack, many women and children were killed, and KGB explains that they were working with parademons, and they would have killed many more if they weren't uh, eliminated. So there's another important point. 
Uh, Dick Grayson is given the title of hero of the reunited Eurasia by KG Beast. And moments later, Dick hops up on stage and breaks KG Beast's neck in order to prevent more massacres because he realized that this guy was just, he should not be in power. And uh, the issue ends with Helena having Dick killed by hanging him. And kind of throughout the issue, a rope trick is a theme that we see. Like, Helena really wants to know how he did something that happened in an earlier mission. And he says that when we're on a mission and we are both could potentially die, I'll, I'll reveal to you. Um, there's also a joke about a clue master code. And <clears throat> if you're wondering, the one time they were hanging above a, a, a shark tank, the clue master code that he did, and the clue master code is the first letter at the beginning of every sentence. So when they were hanging there in that scene, his clue master code was fart, which is why he was laughing. And then Helena later uses it when they're, like, about to go up on a helicopter. And she ends up saying, I love you. So there you go. And a shocking thing I thought, but you can let me know if you th- what you think about this. It, it seems that Dick revealed something about Bruce. Like, maybe that Bruce is Batman, or that he was working with Bruce. Uh, given some conversations he had with H- Helena, especially when he was doing sit-ups and kissing her, because he said, you know, Bruce always used to make fun of him. So I was wondering about that. Did he reveal some secrets? Is he really with Spiral and not working with Batman? So my thought on this was that Spiral knows who Batman is. Mm-hmm. So she probably knows who he was at some point. And that's so he didn't have to reveal anything. The the organization deduced who Batman was, and because of that, they can have open conversations about his past because of okay of that. That's that's my guess. Outside of that, I mean, I don't know about you guys. I didn't really I didn't really enjoy this issue that much. Uh, the the backwards, you know, everything working backwards was kind of off off putting for me. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of it. Um, I, I mean, honestly, I didn't really feel like there was anything in this issue. He gets hung at the end, but I wonder if mm-hmm. it's it, I, because of the fact that they're talking about the rope trick throughout the entire issue, the fact that they're talking about the acid that can burn through mm-hmm. rope. I almost feel like they were hinting at he's not actually going to die because he's going to use some of this acid or something. I also wondered about that, but if you look at the art, I mean, you see, like, he's shaking, he's shaking the first two panels, and then he's not. Yeah, but I I think that was the, I mean, at least I took it as, the whole point of this issue at the end was that he knew the rope trick, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know, I, I will honestly, out of the ones we're doing, this was definitely my, my least favorite, so. I would probably agree with you there. Um, Plus, the other thing, too, is Grayson, as a series, was just, it's just so new that to have this kind of special issue before we really know... The, the Helena Bertinelli that's in Grayson. And, yeah. And, and, we basically have two issues and a small intro from Nightwing 30. Yeah, so I mean, I think that's the issue is that we just don't have enough of a a, a history of Grayson yet to do a special issue with. It's just, it's not ready. I mean, we don't know anything about the new Huntress, the new Helena Bertinelli. So, I mean, to me, this one was just like too soon. All right, let's talk about Detective Comics Future's End. So, this is Detective Comics Future's End. So, this one starts off where Batman breaks in the Riddler's office. Uh, at the very beginning, and we find out that the Riddler has been pardoned for his crimes, so he is, you know, out and about and a free man. And uh, he was one who designed the security for Arkham Asylum. So Batman says he needs his help to break in there uh, because Calendar Man is holding hostages in Arkham, and he 
persuades the Riddler to go with him by saying, you know, uh, the counterman's going to cause, you know, knock out all the power in the city, which was your trick from zero years, so you don't want to be outdone. So uh, the Riddler decides to go with him. Um, and we get there, and it's revealed that Counterman's wife was killed during the zero year blackout. So he blames the Riddler for everything that had gone wrong in his life. And Batman literally just turns the Riddler over to Counterman to do with as he wills, and and takes off. And that's kind of the end of the issue. Um, I really, really like this. Like, I know it's 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 you can we can have, and I'm sure we're about to have the old was this in character out of character for Batman thing. Uh, but this kind of bleak five years in the future that we kind of see here and some other issues. Um, I, I think that since the Riddler had avoided persecution or prosecution for his crimes, I think Batman turning him over to Calendar Man uh, was very fitting and enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to have a long conversation about, you know, was this the right thing? Was Batman basically sentencing Riddler to his death at this point? But I think in some ways it's interesting you know, the fact that basically, I mean, the most important thing I got out of this issue is that Batman outsmarted the Riddler the entire time, basically, and handed him over to Calendar Man. I mean, outside of, you know, Calendar Man and his, his uh, inmates basically grab Riddler and yank him in and as he's kicking and screaming saying, no, you can't leave me here. Put that aside, I thought it was awesome that Batman basically says, ha, Riddler, I, I, I tricked you. <laughs> You're the one he wants, not me. Yeah, I'm, I'm not too much a fan of this, um, calendar man as we see more about him and, and we had been introduced to him in the detective's comic annual. But I, I think the whole Riddler Batman interaction was what was driving this story. And it totally just, you know, flipped it on, flipped this on his head, right? Cause throughout the entire beginning of the issue, you're thinking Batman's gotta, you know, use Riddler to get inside and Batman is the cause potentially of, which we had seen. It, it's a very logical step to make because Batman got Calendar Man's son taken away from him. So you're thinking that Batman is the one that is somewhat going to his doom. And then you see Riddler, you know, give Batman up and he's trying to betray him. And and then you see all along that this was Batman's plan. I mean, this was a very smart issue and story, and and it was it was just well done. All right, so let's move into our next one: Birds of Prey, Future Zen. Future Zen, Birds of Prey, The Red League. Writer Chrissy Marks, Pensor Rob- Robson Rocha, Inkers Oakler, Albert, and Julio Ferreira, and breakdown Scott McDaniel and colorist Christopher Sotomayor. So the story begins three years from now. Uh, Black Canary is in charge of the Red League of Assassins, uh, destroying humans and sex trafficking rings and rescuing victims. And one such victim she takes in to train. And another two years later, so now it's the total of five, she is a member of the League. And the League goes after the man behind the large ring in Gotham, Paul Howell III. But while there, they run into Bette Noir, a.k.a. Black Beast, a.k.a. Barbara Gordon. And she and Canary fight because Babs is uh, upset about the League coming to Gotham. And Dinah explains her methods and explains about how Dinah tries to get Babs to join. But Babs decides to go off and have her own team. And meanwhile, Howell hangs himself and his name will forever be uh, humiliated because of the info that Donna gave to the news. So, I mean, the previous Birds of Prey issued the last one, number 34, the team breaks up. 
Uh, Barbara Gordon is really upset at Dinah because Dinah used the team for her own means to get to Amanda Waller. And, you know, Dinah goes off on her direction. The creeper condor goes with him. Strix goes somewhere else. It's, it's, it's this crazy thing. So we follow Dinah here. Do you think this is a logical progression for Dinah to take over, you know, Rachel Ghoul's League of Assassins to kind of turn them into her own, um, league? And, and, you know, to fight in this way. I mean, cause she's, it, it, it's always going to be her affiliated with race in a certain way, even though it's a completely different method, um, and, and what they plan on doing. It's, you hear Red Assassins, you're going to think of, you know, this league that was associated with race. I mean, do you think this is a logical progression? You know, five years from when the Birds of Prey breaks up, this is what Dinah's doing. You know, I don't know. It, it just really, I didn't really have any problems with this. I mean, I guess based off of the, the – I mean, I haven't read an issue of Birds of Prey in a while. But based off of everything that seemingly was heading in the direction that it was heading in with the Birds of Prey title, it seemed like this was a logical way to have Dinah end up. Um, now, that's not to say that, you know, obviously we don't know if this will be what ends up happening. But it is interesting how uh, – Dinah knew information about this person in Gotham that Barbara didn't even know. And then Barbara was just like, oh, well, if that's the case, psh, go ahead, deal with it. I thought that was weird. I thought this was like a good kind of future way to play this with if Dinah had taken over the, the League of Assassins, I mean, she would have shaped him in her own image. She gives that little speech in here about uh, the fact that Raish never really cared about the people that worked underneath him. And, you know, uh, that this is her her version of the League. And, um in short, yeah, I did like it because Dana would have made it her own, and I think that five years down the line, this may have been a, a logical conclusion to, to mm-hmm. where it ended up. And I like the fact that we had this neat little tech where you could plug up your ears and essentially block out the signal from Dana's canary cry yeah. so you could use it. I thought that was a very, very little clever, clever piece of writing there. So yeah, no, I liked it. it was, I was yeah. With it. And I think the, the, the confrontation between Babs and Dinah, I think very much made sense. Um, and, and Barbara, for all intents and purposes, this, this Paul Howell guy seems like a very clean person. And I guess it's just another example of Babs not doing as much legwork as she could have, which we've seen in Eternal and, and Jason told her the same thing. But I feel like she was also just very blinded by the, uh, by rage at the fact that a League of Assassins, or as much as she thinks, is in Gotham and headed by, you know, someone that she calls a friend a long time ago so you know that could be the reason why maybe she didn't uh, do as much investigative work as possible all right so then let's move into our next one batman futures end batman futures end uh the writer ray fox this one opens up uh, five years in the future like the rest of the stories and uh, a very beaten down bruce is seen uh breaking into uh to LexCorp. Um, he's all hopped up on like stimulants and painkillers and he's got like 45 minutes to do the mission before he totally pass out. Um, Alfred as kind of always doesn't think he should take any more, take any more chances. Uh, he breaks into LexCorp and after going through some interesting security systems, uh, we discover that Luther is once again working on making a clone of Superman. Uh, and the clone gets free and it's more of a bizarro version than a, a fully formed Superman at this point. Um, and there's a fight, uh, the defensive systems go up, Basically, all the destroy at the end of the fight, all the clones get destroyed. Batman steals the research and goes back to um, his command center, which doesn't seem to be the Batcave. Um, and and, if, and then at the end, he is seen growing a clone of himself, 
and telling Alfred that, you know, there always must be a Batman in Gotham. So since mm-hmm. he is so beat down, he is going to clone himself. Um, and I actually kind of, you know, it, it, again, I don't know if I'd want to see a clone of Batman running around the city all the time, but I think that, again, this future is supposed to be so bleak uh, type deal that if Bruce thought the only way he could protect Gotham effectively was to make a clone of himself, um, I think he would do it. And, and I thought this was a kind of clever and, and fun story that it was kind of reinforcing how desperate everything was. And just kind of wonder what you guys thought about the whole idea of a, of a Batman clone made by Bruce, not made by an enemy or something. This is obviously linking to that Detective Comics 27 story that Snyder wrote. And I, and I think in that regard, I think it works perfectly. Do I believe that there always needs to be a specific Batman and that the only way the future will work is if if Batman clones himself? No, I think that Alpha raises a pretty good point in that there's all these other heroes that have risen with the Bat name or part of the Bat family that could easily take over, but for some reason Bruce is obsessed with the idea that there has to be a Batman because otherwise it won't work. And all the other ones are meaningless. I, I think it doesn't really say a whole lot about everybody else who's part of the Bat family. But in that regard, I think, I mean, I, the issue was fine. I, I, it's nice to see that at the, the one thing that I thought was really great was at the very end of him going through the entire facility, the recording of Luther says, oh, well, if you're still alive, there's you must be Batman, right? Oh, you're not going to respond? Sure, I'll just do DNA testing after you're gone because I'm sure it's you. That was awesome. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the one that really made me think about um, how the future changes everything because it, it seems like the way that, you know, Lex Luthor is portrayed here and, and, and what people are saying about him, um, that he potentially goes back to his villainous side. And like I said, he, you know, he's on the Justice League of America right now. So how does that happen? When does it happen? Um, and yeah, just to see those, all those clones around, very creepy. But I love seeing Batman just in this death trap and potentially, you know, there's this risk that he's not going to make it out, which I honestly don't know how it happens. How does he get so quickly from that one you know, the explosion, and then all of a sudden he's in the Batcave. I was kind of scratching my head wondering if my book had lost a page. Um, and, and I love that Alfred, you know, always there trying to talk him down and trying to convince him he has this group. And you kind of, you, you see all these, these different, I think I saw Harper Row there, maybe, on the bottom right. Um, so, you know, he's got this group of people, so why not use them? But he's kind of a selfish guy and egotistical, and he's like, there needs to be a Batman. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a good, I, I really liked this one. It was very much like an awesome kind of caper, caper, uh, issue. All right. So then with that, let's get into our very last one. Batgirl, <laughs> Future's End. Did you say this one for last on purpose? Yes, actually I did. <laughs> uh, Future's End, Batgirl, Darker in the Soul. Writer Gail Simone, it's her final issue on Batgirl here. Uh, in her run, she may come on do fillers. Artist Javier Garon, colorist Romulo Fajardo Jr. And so the story begins two years from now. Babs ends up marrying a cop who's not Jason Bard, uh, and he's a redhead. Bab's father is either dead or still incarcerated. It's a little ambiguous because all you see is Bab say, I wish father or my father were dot, dot, dot. And then her husband says, I know. And, um, hey, guess what? James Jr. pops up at the wedding. Uh, he points a gun at Bab's and um, basically coerces her husband to jump in order to save Barbara Gordon his wife so uh he does 
Bab snaps and ends up like beating James within an inch of his life. Six months after that, or for the next six months, Babs is just hunting down data. And she's then working for any bad guy she can find. She's insinuating herself within networks and taking them down from the inside. We see her uh, at the Iceberg Lounge working. It almost looks like a call girl, but you know you know how Penguin does. Working with Penguin, you've, you've got Riddler, um, and, and only one basically remains, and that happens to be Bane. So it, it takes a while. Uh, she's kind of mopping up messes and stuff, but she's finally trained by Bane for two years, and she is given Venom, and she has a chance to kill him, but she ends up walking away. So it could either be sentiment, because she does kind of refer to him as her father. Um, I, I honestly don't know what her motives are for walking away and not taking him down, but there you go. Then one year later... We've got Cass Kane, Stephanie Brown, and this is after the Birds of Prey stuff, right? So Birds of Prey ends. Bab says, I'm going to make my own team. So here we are. Cass Kane, Steph, Stephanie Brown, oh, and Tiffany Fox are all Batgirls working for Bet Noir, a.k.a. Black Beast, a.k.a. Babs. And then Bane returns and says he has six bombs scattered across Gotham. She goes to fight him. He believes that she sought him out in order to be broken and put back in the chair. It always goes back to that, doesn't it? Babs denies it and even tells him she never took his venom. So anyways, she never took his venom. He says impossible. She ends up ripping off her mask, which the entire time looked like a Bane mask, and defeats him. And then the Batgirls are reunited. I mean, let's be honest. The big point here is, what do you think about all the like this network of Batgirls, and the fact that we're, I mean, Cascade. I mean, I when I saw this, I was super shocked that they let Gail Simone do this. I guess the whole thing is, you know, it's five years in the future. It may or may not happen, so you can do whatever you want. But I was just like, Cascade. You've got Steph Brown. This is crazy town. Yeah. So here's my thing. Okay. Obviously. Out of all the books, I was quite surprised by this one because, uh-huh. like you said, Stella, I can't believe they actually allowed her to do it. Week prior to this issue coming out, we have them recoloring Cassandra Kane's Black Bat and Batwing. Yeah. But then here she is, bam, right here in this in this issue. Um, do I? What do I think of the network of Batgirls? Well, I love it. Um, I, you know, it wasn't that long ago that I said that after Batman Eternal, it would make the most sense to have a group of female characters that basically like the new birds of prey include mm-hmm. blue bluebird and stephanie brown and i mean it's probably a couple years away from tiffany fox becoming yeah. part of the team but you know I, there's plenty of characters that could be part of this little network and i think it's it, it is a really cool idea i swear it was a, at least a couple months ago that i said this um but that being said, I think the idea of it's really cool. I like Barbara, like kind of being the leader, but she's not afraid to get her hands dirty either. Um, she just doesn't. It's not like she just sits in the cave mm-hmm. um, directing them. I mean, obviously, the majority of this issue she did, but it. She also shows that she's not afraid to go out and get her hands dirty as well. So I think the the entire thing is really cool, and I think you know. There was some problems. The the opening sequence with her getting married and her brother popping out of nowhere mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. force her husband to jump off a building. I th- thought that was very, very poorly written. But the idea of Cassandra, Stephanie, Tiffany Fox all being basically 
the League of Backrolls, as they put it, you know, with Barbara in charge, I think it's an awesome idea, and I'd love to see something like that, mm-hmm. regardless of whether it's directly. I mean, it also shows that at some point Cassandra has to come out of the woodwork. So, I I I, I really liked it. Yeah, I mean, it shows that Cassandra has to show up, and it shows that Stephanie at some point will become friends with Barbara and move on from her spoiler mantle, which we still don't know a lot about because if she's We've only seen her, what, in one panel in costume in Eternal so far? Yeah. So hopefully it's the next one since it was titled Spoiled. Yeah, I think we'll start to see her involved. I, I love the concept. Like, I-, I agree with Dustin's concerns. Like, the whole, if you don't jump off the building, I'm going to shoot her in the head is kind of... Yeah. I mean... Well, not to mention, he's surrounded by people with guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, there's... And, and, and if she is marrying this guy, which we have no backstory on whatsoever, right... We would assume that he knows that she is, was, has been Batgirl, right? And has to figure that it's, there is a better option than him literally running to the building the second James Jr. I mean, he doesn't even argue about it, essentially. You know? Um, but besides that kind of silliness out of the front scene, I think what we're all drawn to here is the concept of all these Batgirls functioning again. I mean, the rest of it is just kind of whatever for me. I don't, I don't even, I don't care. I just like the idea of seeing all the characters back. Um, the Bane stuff is, it's fine, you know. We need we need a villain in the issue. He he fits it just fine, um, but I I do like I just like the concept that we might see all the characters back. Um, I could I would like to see some slight changes on how we get there with the wedding and things like that. But it is exciting to see that one Cassandra can't exist again, which was like you said hilarious that they just went nuts the week before when someone tried to put him in, tried to put mm-hmm. her in, you know. Um, but I think the concept of having all the characters back is very hopeful, especially considering that. The next Batgirl issue will have will be the new giant creative team. So it seems like that maybe these, this character is going to start this or this book, this character, this line of characters is going to start going in a much better direction now. I certainly hope so. Yeah, you know, I, my problem does sort of lie with with this introduction and, and just the fact that I feel like it's a tragedy for tragedy's sake and, and some we needed some way to push Barbara Gordon over the edge and like to a certain extent she just she goes crazy and and even throughout you know Gail Simone's run she was she was always a little bit on the edge after all the the James Jr. stuff she always had to tell herself to sort of back down beating people within an inch of her life and so it was just like my goodness is this really going on because I feel like could we have had a, a better and more positive, you know, I'm going to create this network of Batgirls. Uh, I feel like we could have done that. Um, if she is trying to take down Bane, and, you know, that's her purpose. He's the last bad guy that she's getting to. I don't understand why she wears the symbol of Bane throughout this, you know, this timeline here. I mean, if you recognize that he's a villain, why are you almost paying homage to him by wearing his mask? I did have a problem with that. But um, overall, I liked it. Uh, I was a little scared as, you know, she's so jacked up. <laughs> she's like bone breaker from the disgraced. So she's jacked up. Um, I still don't understand. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get tweeted sometime soon and I'll understand what it means that she didn't take the venom even though she's so big. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it, you know, Gail Simone went out with a bang and it was just, I mean, I was just so happy to see Cass and Stephanie and Tiffany was cute, but she didn't really do anything. I mean, even the other two were telling her to like stay back. But I loved, we saw her goop, we saw Steph's goopering, which is, you know, part of, uh, Brian Q. Miller's run, and it was, yeah, loving. And, and cast kicking. 
Yes. Yep. And and just the relationship between Cass and Steph and Cass standing back and saying, you know, that's a hero. I mean, it was just, it was great. It was well done. I feel like Simone really had their voices down. All right. So that is all the Future Sentence books uh, that for the most two weeks. We've got some more to cover in the next episode. But with that, that is everything for this episode. I want to remind you to check out the website for all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and, of course, the comics as well. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook, as well as join our Facebook group. Uh, also, if you've noticed that we haven't been posting you know, every spy pick that comes out of Batman vs. Superman, uh, I suggest you follow us on Twitter, because I have been retweeting them. I'm not going to post every single spy pick that happens with Batman vs. Superman over on the website, but if you follow us on Twitter, you'll at least see what is coming out from Detroit as of right now with Batman vs. Superman. In addition to that, we are always looking for people to join the website, review comics, as well as report the news. We have plenty of openings. Just get in contact with us. Find the Join TBU link on the homepage at the bottom of the screen, and you will find out exactly what we're looking for and get in contact with us, and we'll get you set up. In addition to that, you can also leave us reviews in iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated as well. Be sure to check out all of the other podcasts we have to offer over on the website. With that, that is everything. This is Dustin. This is Ed. This is Stella. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks.